I'm really flattered when dairy farmers or kids, like people, adults who grew up on dairy farms at farmers markets and that they'll say to me, my God, this reminds me of when I was a kid and, you know, we used to drink from that. And, and that's the biggest compliment you can get. This is The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. Kathy Palmer is just about getting used to the idea that she's a dairy farmer. After a career in music management, she followed a passion for animal welfare into ethical milk production. On her northern Victorian dairy farm, calves aren't ripped away from their mums soon after birth. Instead, cows and calves stay together through to weaning. Kathy ensures a calm, happy life for her own cows, and she gets rave reviews for her milk. But How Now is also a showpiece, proving that dairy can be done differently, with kindness as a driving principle. My name's Kathy Palmer. My company is called The Ethical Dairy Company, trading as How Now Dairy. And I'm the only cow and calf together dairy in Australia, which means that we keep all our <clears throat> cows and calves together after they're born and we milk the cows, sharing the milk. I'm located in northern Victoria, up near the Murray. The farm is in a town called Catamatite. Very old farming, dairy farming area, this whole area. Uh, used to be, I think there was 180 farms in this region and now I think uh, we're down to about um, 25, 28 farms. So um, I moved up here simply because it was a, a great area to understand get a knowledge of dairying given that I had never been on a dairy farm until I started my own business. So I got my I came up here where I knew there was a wealth of experience and the farm I'm on is managed by two retired or semi-retired now dairy farmers who took me under their wing and um, have done an amazing job passing on their skill sets. They've been milking since they were six-year-old boys and now they're both in their 70s. So they've done a marvellous job teaching me everything um, except they had never seen a dairy where the cow and the calf stay together. They were used to the traditional dairying of um, a calf being born and then the calves immediately being removed and put into a shed. So this has all been new to them as well and they've enjoyed the journey, I think. How does a music manager become a dairy farmer? Kathy explains her unique journey from the rock band Green Room to Ruminants Green Paddocks. Um, my background is completely, couldn't be further away from farming if it tried to be. I grew up uh, one of six in a very suburban um, lifestyle really and but our mum, we were always big on food and where our food came from etc. My career was in the music industry. I worked in artist management, uh, like with musicians, and then I worked as A&R, so a finder and a signer for uh, a publishing company. And I worked for many years working with artists on that level and developing artists. My brother, Barry Palmer, um, he, he's also in the, he's the Hunters and Collectors guitarist. We had a small record company together. And we went um, developing really young artists from the age of 15 because we saw in the industry that they were missing out on opportunities and being, you know, unrepresented. So we spent a few years doing that. And then I had my daughter. And so I took some time off and regrouped. And I really felt like I wanted to do something 
better with my time now. I'd had a successful, very successful career and I wanted to do something that was more fulfilling for me personally. And it was a friend who pointed out to me that uh, he was kind of shocked that I consumed dairy given that I had all this, you know, animal activist blood in me and I was very passionate about animal rights and I had no idea. And he said, go home and Google Bobby Calf. And I did, and I slammed that computer shut and went back and said, my God, like, come on, there has to be a better way. How come we can't keep the calves? And he made it, he gave me a really great education. He said, it's all about the consumer. The consumer, it's consumer driven by price. And um, that really set me on a journey. So five years ago, I started on that journey of about 18 cows. And spent a year before that Googling like crazy to see where were these farms, where you could keep a calf with the cow, how did it work, what was what were the com- complexities. And what I found was there was no research. There was nothing done on it other than um, on a, you know, on a university level where they did research papers to say, remove a calf, don't remove a calf at this these many hours. And... So it was really just flying blind and waiting for a calf to be born. So the first calf that was born, um, we trained, we carried that calf to the dairy and milked the cow and that was kind of the last cow we ever trained, the first and the last. From there, they trained each other. They taught each other that, you know, the calves were safe, nothing was going to happen and I – how now was born that way and we developed from there really there's a dark secret that traditional dairy farming depends on bobby calf is a cute name but it's not a sweet story so uh bobby calf is the term that's been given to the calf that when they're born in a dairy industry farm uh, bobby calf is the calf that is born so they basically are removed from the the mothers immediately at birth and put into a shed um, and they're fed through um, different methods in the sheds and then they everyone has this understanding which was also my understanding that the bobby calves were only the boys the males um and so then at five days old they're sent to slaughter and that now i know that's not just the males the it's also anything that's not used as replacements, which, you know, certain dairy farmers keep certain amount of cows, calves to replace their dairy herd over the years. But it's just, um, it's gone, it's, it's actually male and female. And so in Australia, there's approximately half a million calves a year that go that way. There has been, with the increase in beef prices, it's been, very good for dairy um, cows because it means more and more dairy farmers are using beef bulls. So they'll get um, beef animals out of the dairy cows, which is, you know, that's, um, I think that's a, a step in the right direction. But essentially, yeah, a bobby calf is the five day old uh, by, ultimate byproduct for us to consume milk. Many people steer clear of veal because they don't think it's an ethical meat. Kathy gives her view on the disconnect between veal avoidance and dairy drinking. Most of it leaves Australia. Um, we don't have veal 
that is that young in Australia. Uh, most of it will leave here, can be served outside of Australia, but ultimately a lot of it ends up in pet food and um, yeah, those, those kind of products, like waste products. And I did an interview with Gary Megan a couple of years ago and we had this interesting conversation about veal and I said, you know, well, because he said there was, it got, it got um, suggested to him once that anyone who drinks milk should eat veal. And I said, wow, that's really kind of confronting and challenging, I can imagine. And I said, but I guess no one serves veal in Australia, really, really, quite rarely. And he said, oh, yes, we do. We put it up on menus. And he said, from my personal experience, I can tell you my family eat it for the next week or 10 days because it doesn't sell. No one will order it because they've got this really strong understanding of what veal is, yet at the end of the meal, they'll all order coffee with milk. <laughs> so it's very, it was, it's a very interesting thing that we've got this real block in Australia and it's all around the world about the real price of milk. And that's where I, I came into it and I just said, I can't, I can't cope with that anymore. I have to, I've got to, I've got to raise that awareness and I'll, I'll fight for the, the rights of the calves. Sharing milk between calves and humans sounds idyllic, but how does it actually work? Kathy explains what she's learned about cows as she developed her innovative milking system. What I what I did with my approach was to find um, what ha- what what would be different, what would happen, because you get all this scaremongering that happens. People tell you that um, the calves take the best milk, or the the calves um, don't they won't thrive if they're left with their mums, which just seems that is outrageous. <laughs> that just does not make sense. That didn't compute on any level to me. So I got busy reading and researching it. And what I what I know is a newborn calf will use be- three to five litres of milk a day. Now, rightly or wrongly, our dairy cows have been bred over the last 100 years to produce upwards near 40 litres a day. So in my mind, that three to five litres there's plenty there. Just let the calves go with the mums, let them drink, and we've got plenty to take. Now, that, of course, they grow and that milk becomes a higher quantity that they take. But what we've found and what, what I've always found in, on the farm is that the calves will start to graze a lot younger than um, calves that are grown up in a shed. So they will graze with their mums. They imitate the mums and they, they start to uh, join their diet between grazing and feeding. And so you'll often see the older calves, the way that we do it, you know, because mine, the calves just stay with their mum 24 hours a day. And you'll see the calves all off down the end of the paddock, but they'll come back at night, have a drink and that's it. That's the end of it. So it's about, it's that awareness that everyone said to me, that can't happen. They'll take all the milk. Well, it just makes no sense. They don't take, they don't even take, you know, three to five litres. Like an average dairy cow, you could say is 20 litres a day. So plenty. The way the milking process works on how now is uh, I generally will me or one of the guys will go down and open up their gate um, 
and the cows and the bull just the, most of the cows will just come anyway, uh, but the calves will come tearing around and they come with their mums all the way down to the dairy and. From uh, I started training the calves to go to the back of the yard and also because they don't want to be stepped on. They've got mums moving around and and if you really want to upset dairy cows, change the order. They go into the dairy and like dairy cows are really, really funny creatures to watch because, you know, if I go in as number five in my run, if you try to move me to number 10, I'm not going to be happy about that. So, um, you know, they'll they'll – you know, bustle and hustle a bit to get into their position where they want to go. So the calves all, I just found that they would naturally, they were quite happy to gravitate towards the back of the yard and they just curl up. If it's, you know, sunny, they'll just curl up. The bigger ones might get out and um, run around a bit, but they will just curl up and then mum goes into the dairy, gets milked and comes back around. So they're all in the same yard together. And um, I've had a few calves go into the dairy with their mums and they just usually stand there and look around and because they want to be one of the big girls. And then they'll just, when the mums come out, they join back up with the calves and take their calf off and head back down the paddock. Milking cows is one thing. Getting milk to market is another. Cathy explains the How Now approach to processing and distributing milk. Up until the beginning of this year, uh, my milk was always processed off-site. So I would um, milk for a couple of days and then run that milk all the way to Melbourne, so nearly three hours, and have it bottled and then distributed out there um, through my... I've got a driver that runs around, but this year I've started processing my own milk. So I've set up a factory in our little town called Numerka and um, I now process the milk in batches. So I can do two milkings and then we process all that milk and send it off. Uh, Most of the milk is all sold in Melbourne in surrounding uh, areas of central Melbourne. So IGAs and more of those food produce stores, Macedon Ranges is very popular for How Now. So it seems to be where there's um, a really strong understanding of peop- uh, where your food comes from. And I, I don't think, contrary to what everybody tells me, because there's a bit of a feeling that How Now is very expensive and that it, I, there used to be a bigger price difference, but now milk has gone up a lot in price. So a litre of how now is about $2.75, whereas a litre of normal, any old um, pure or whatever milk will be $2.20. So it's not a big price difference anymore. But what I have found is you go, there's regions where people actually will pay, they put their money where their mouth is. They they live by that standards and say, I found out about it and now I would only drink how now. And, you know, one thing that really does get me going, Danny, is that there's a lot of talk when I, I, you know, on socials, I spend time looking around socials, people talking coffee is one of the things that really kind of um, gets me going because, there's a lot of talk about where they get their beans from, you know, single origin, um, you know, uh, whether it's a, you know, fair trade and all the, all those wonderful positive uh, aspirations towards having co- coffee from a really great place. 
and then there's no thought given to where the milk's coming from. And often, you know, if I talk to people in cafes, they their answer would be, oh, yeah, but, mate, your milk's just too expensive to have in a cafe. But I'm looking at their coffee beans and I'm knowing that they're paying premium price for coffee beans, but there's this bla- there's a real blank spot where there's no understanding of milk. And, and I know if, um, if people saw ads of what – what it looked like, it would change it overnight. But I, I refuse to go down those um, negative messaging. I only try to stay with positive messaging. So, you know, at the moment there's that ad on television about the pork and it's I've had people writing to me about that and saying, oh, my God, it reduced me to tears. So, you know, it's um, it's that awareness. And I, I have conversations all the time with the RSPCA about RSPCA approved milk and those kind of, that's not going to happen in Australia. They, they just won't, they won't do it. Milking cows have been bred for generations to live alongside humans. Kathy delights in the personalities among her herd and what her cows have taught her. Oh my God, they are the most hilarious animals. They, they have such strong personalities and so some dairy cows, are, are, like in some ways, I guess they're like humans. Um, they, some of my most beautiful cows don't like to be pat. They don't like you to come near them and pat them. But they're so placid and calm and friendly, but they like that distance. I've got other cows that you can't stand still because, um, you know, you've got to remember some of them can be 400, 500 kilos and they want to rub their head up and down your leg like a dog, except, <laughs> you know, that would be 400 kilos of head rubbing. So they're, uh, they've got very unique personalities and some of them, are, you know, they'll, they'll follow, they'll be motivated by feed. Others are motivated by scratches. I've got one that's called Auntie and we call her Auntie because she will feed anybody's calf. Uh, like she will just make herself available like a wet nurse to anybody that wants a drink. So she she's really from the, it takes a village <laughs> theory, I think. And some of them have, um, Candy is one of, I've now got Three, three of my calves who were born into the system now in the dairy. So there's Candy and Mia and Lola. And it's amazing to see them and the, the two older dairy farmers, Ken and John, they've commented on it uh, to see a first-time dairy cow, which they call a heifer, come into the dairy. And often that's a very scary situation. So before the the first time are calves, the dairy farmers will run them through the dairy shed. Well, mine have already, we put ours in the dairy shed when they start becoming adults just so they can walk through and see it, have something to eat. And so when we've brought them in after they've calved, they've, these guys who have seen everything have commented that they've never seen cows come in like heifers come in like this. They're just so much more relaxed so I think it comes down to that whole um, my ethos and I have a sign on the wall which these guys laugh at sometimes is please ask, don't tell. So I always believe that we ask the cows, can you move over there? We don't tell them. So, you know, if, you tell the, if you're yelling at them and pushing them, cows really don't like that. Like if you're rushing and you really want to have a bad day, rush around a cow because they will just pick up on your energy and be really freaked out 
straight away. So you can, you know, sometimes I pull up at the dairy and I've been on the phone and I'm organising deliveries or things and I'm in another headspace and the cows remind me very quickly that it's time to, you know, just down, calm, slow, and then then everything can run smoothly because if you're rushing, you're going to pay for that 10 times and – well, and also they'll probably start shitting all over you is the other thing that they do. <laughs> if you bring a stranger into the dairy, they'll spot the stranger and um, they'll all just start often, they'll, some of them will start shitting on you if they don't want strangers in there. No cow can be milked forever. Kathy explains the retirement plan for her dairy milkers. So what I do now is I've got, um, I, uh, I've sold a few house cows so if some of them, one of the one of the house cows actually was, um, she just didn't actually want to be a dairy cow in a, you know, on a dairy farm. She was a beautiful cow. She was quite happy to stand in a paddock and be hand milked. And I sold her to a, um, a gentleman who that's, that's all, a guy just wanted to have um, a cow. So I try and sell some of them. Um, ones that unfortunately, you're always going to have some that have to be put down or you know sent away because they, um, if they've got high cell count um, or something goes wrong with them, naturally you can't sell that. That's you know not good business and not ethical to sell that animal on where it's not producing good milk. But I'm also starting. I've got a bit of a retirement village going because that's going to be part of my business going forward is that for people to be able to come and visit uh, the ex-dairy cows because I've only I only milk uh, usually between 40 maximum is ever 50 at one time and given like now in Australia the dairies are getting bigger like that's a very small dairy farm but which means my replacements like my girls retiring it might be one or two cows every two or three years and they only carve every second year, whereas normally they would carve every single year. So mine, the process, that probably sounds very confusing. The process is so they will come in, they get into calf and then they will just say if it's a first timer, then they will be start, they have normal gestation is like a human nine months. And then once they have their calf, they will be in the dairy for up to, my girls will be in there for up to a year. And so the calf will be weaned off at around about six months. Then they will stay in the dairy for another few months and then I would join them. And I join mine with um, sexed semen and polled. So that means only females being born and um, without horns. So you don't have to cut horns off. So you can buy all that now in a um, for artificial insemination. And so, yeah, and so then they have nine months of waiting again. So, you know, that's all takes, that, that's two years from start to finish minimum. How now cows stay with their calves as nature intended, but there's plenty of science in this unique system too. Kathy Talks Tech. It's really fascinating. I found out that I couldn't be certified biodynamic because they uh, deem what I do as genetic modification. And I, I, I don't see it that way at all. It's cause, because it's gender selection in a Petri dish and, you know, so it's genetic. They, 
uh, the the stance is that that is called genetic modification, which um, scientifically it's not. So I think it's a wonderful use of science where you can say rather than have a five-day-old calf that is going to be slaughtered, you know, at five days old, why? You know, if we can use science to produce a cow, a female, without horns, which is just less things that you have to deal with once they're born, it's um, that's a fantastic way to go. And dairy cows have been bred for a very long time off the most quiet. They've, You know, if there's a quiet cow, they will breed from her, you know, continuously. And so the, you've got these cows now which, you know, they, they're in such close proximity to humans that it's very – it could be very confronting. Like I've seen beef cows and I find them very – kind of scary almost because they they don't have as much connection to the humans whereas dairy cows you have to work with them and that's what I'm always saying it's like working with the animal and I think science gives us all these other opportunities to keep doing things uh, ethically much more sound and for um, and also a much more manageable future because milk and dairy consumption it I don't think the numbers that we're being told in media, like how everyone's switching to plant-based milk, that's not that's not very real when you look at the milk that we've got from the dairy world. When you see the numbers of, uh, well, they, they talk about it in milk solids, so it's in kilos, um, you see those demands and it's going up, it's not going down because cheese and all these other all these other dairy um, products that are coming onto the market. And already in Australia we don't have – we're importing a large percentage because our pool of milk is just decreasing year on year because the, the price of milk has just uh, pushed so many farmers out. And we're, we're importing milk like uh, a lot from New Zealand, but that scares me the future of where else they could be importing milk from. In the future, it could be coming from, you know, China, where we've got no, no kind of uh, knowledge of animal welfare or feed or anything like that, any of those restrictions. Have you ever done the wheat bix test? Kathy shares some of her favourite How Now reviews. Well, I do, I do a lot of uh, blind tastings with people just for fun, you know, just to because I I'm biased, so uh, I will ask people to try it who I know have um, you know big milk drinkers, and what comes back to me time and time again is that there's this um, richness and creaminess in the milk that that they haven't experienced for a long time. The number one comment I always get is, my God, your milk reminds me of milk of when we were kids. And I'm really flattered when dairy farmers or kids, like people, adults who grew up on dairy farms at farmers markets and that they will say to me, my God, this reminds me of when I was a kid and, you know, we used to drink from the vat. And, and that's the biggest compliment you can get essentially because it means it's as it's as untainted and unprocessed as you can possibly get it because I only do unhomogenized milk because all the all the good proteins and the fats that are in milk when they homogenize the milk they whip it so on a really high speed and it smashes all those particles so that that means a lot of the goodness is already destroyed right there and there's a lot of goodness in milk 
um, for protein and calcium and, and especially Australian milk because we know that they're, a lot of them, are, most of our dairy cows are on grass. They're not being fed, you know, too much grain. So my 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 feeling is when people talk to me about them, they say it's really different. The only explanation I can have for it, and it's not scientific, I haven't I haven't found a test for it, is I I, I do believe cortisol because there's a lot of talk about cortisol in meat and stress, so, you know, um, being a stress indicator, and there's. There's no way known there's any cortisol coming from my cows when they're being milked and um, and their lives. Their lives are very fulfilling and they don't have a calf and then have it taken away from them immediately, you know. So there's none. Uh, I did have a dairy farmer friend who said to me, you know, I looked at my cows one day and I just uh, – and I thought, I wonder if they just live every single day depressed. And I, I was heartbroken that – she said that to me. I said, I can't believe you think like that. And she said, oh, just I look at them and I think they just see their heads down and I think, have I created a depressing life for you? And which was, yeah, I don't see that. My cows don't, they they show their personalities. They're full of that personality and they're sprightly and I think the milk, I don't know, it demonstrates all that. I did get this one rave review, which only in Australia uh, I loved it. This guy wrote to me one day, called himself a very much a milk um, critique. He liked liked to critique milk, and he said I, I consume a lot of milk, and he critiqued my milk over his wheat bix. It was the most gold review I've ever had. He talked about the smooth texture, the um, lovely aftermouth feel, and the creaminess of it. <laughs> And that was, I said, that is just a review that, you know, you can't pay for, mate. That's gold. It's not the life she planned for herself, but Kathy is deeply committed to her ethical dairy. She explains what she loves about what she does. I love everything about it. I really do. I never dreamt that, um, you know, when I was sitting in an office on a computer every day of my life, that I would be walking in paddocks with cows. I... I love watching them. I love watching their personalities and I, I, I love challenging the system. Uh, I think our mum always raised us um, and mum and dad always told us, I think I said there was six, there's six of us and that if you wanted something, you just went, you, you just go for it. Without any kind of arrogance, um, we had, you know, no money at all growing up but we always, so we, none of us ever had this feeling of, Oh, oh, we can't do that. That's all too hard. And so when I decided to go dairy farming, I, it didn't occur to me the absurdity of it in a way. So, you know, um, I when I made that, I had to make a decision two years ago because I always lived in Melbourne and I used to come up to the farm, go up and back a lot, and or oh, three years ago now, two and a half. I um, I made the decision. I sold up my home in Melbourne and I moved up here because I knew I needed to live around the cows to see what uh, what it was that I was doing and was it possible to expand because I always heard a lot of, um, well, that's fine, you're doing it with 20 or 30 cows, but you can't do that on a commercial scale. And I, I, believe, I, re- I believe you really can now. I re- I've spent a lot of time on this farm that I'm on looking at that and learning so much from the animals. And what I 
probably one of the things I really love the most is they teach me something nearly every day. They teach me, uh, they've taught me a lot about patience, um, about slowing down and moving with them. Uh, you know, you've got to really drop your energy levels down and be calm. And so that's a really good reminder. Sometimes when we're on our phones and we're caught up in that business, you know, kind of side of the business, the business side of the business that, you know, you're just too busy and you're not, you know, stopping and looking. And I will love, I, I, when I get the opportunity, my favourite, one of my favourite things is to go and sit in the paddock and work in the paddock with the cows because that's a constant reminder of what I'm doing that it's it's worthwhile because, you know, I'm certainly not doing this to get rich. It's um but I see their happiness and I see what what they reward me with. And I'll be sitting there on my computer and there'll be, you know, a cow. They love to suck your hair. And so they'll be sucking my hair. One will be licking the, licking a boot. And um, they're just, they're, they're just hilarious. And then there's the ones that I mentioned before that will just stand in close proximity and eyeball me for an hour and a half, but they will not come in for a pat. So, yeah, I love all that part of it. And I I do farmer's markets and whilst I'm getting a bit, sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm too old to be doing farmer's markets. Uh, I do love talking to people who have never heard, heard of what I do and who love the concept of thinking uh, – and being challenged, I've been challenged by plenty of people at um, at markets, and to actually get to talk to talk to them. And now that I do cheese, um, that's another that was another big passion of mine to be able to expand past milk um, to the other thing that I really love is cheese. So, you know, I love seeing the the different. Textures that that's actually something that's really come to the forefront. The Jack who makes Jack Holman, he owns Stone and Crow Cheese in the Yarra Valley. Jack makes most of my cheese for me, and Nadia in Ballarat from Goldfields she makes the blue and the feta. But Jack makes a lot of the soft cheeses, and we talk about what the girls are eating because. It's really, it's that small uh, and it's that much paddock to plate that what they eat, you know, today and what I milk off them tomorrow and then deliver to Jack can really affect the cheese. And I love that. I really love that part of it because it's very much reminds me of when I spent time in Europe and, you know, you go to Switzerland and they'd only make certain cheeses at certain time of the year because they have to have a certain pasture. And we're, we're like that now. Jack makes a hard cheese that the girls have to be on a certain pasture to, to make, to have that cheese. And all those little idiosyncrasies, I guess, about what we do, that's not just, it's not white water. It's certainly, you know, it's not just something that you guzzle two litres of. It's really complex. And I love that approach. With the essential help and guidance of a couple of old dairy farmers, Kathy Palmer is forging a new path for dairy, now in Victoria, but hopefully soon taken up elsewhere in the world. With ethics and animal welfare a primary concern for many consumers, she hopes that the How Now approach won't always be so unusual. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. 
I'm Danny Vallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers and growers. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.